Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me on LiveTo110.com. And you can find this video podcast on my YouTube channel, Wendy Live to 110. Definitely go there and subscribe. Today we have author Ron Garner on the podcast, author of The Disease-Free Revolution, and the award-winning author of Conscious Health. And we're going to be talking about a very controversial topic that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, which is how the government, Big Pharma, and Big Agra are conspiring to destroy our health for profit. Um, this is something that's, uh, uh, really has bothered me for a long time. How I see so many companies knowing that they are selling chemicals and poisons, um, uh, for profit. They're knowingly doing this. The government is allowing them to do this and big pharma controls the medical system and, uh, they don't make money unless we are sick. Um, so this is something that we need to talk about. Um, before we uh, have our discussion, uh, please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment that we'd suggest on the show. So today, Ron Garner, uh, author of The D- Disease-Free Revolution, uh, was just recently published. His earlier book, Conscious Health, was the winner of a Nautilus Book Award in the U.S. as the best health and healing book for 2007. He's been a guest on many radio shows all over North America in recent years, and now he is here with us today to talk about his new book and all our juicy topics that we're going to discuss about the conspiracy theory. Uh, Ron Garner is a BED MSc with a diploma in natural health. He is a health researcher, educator, author, and speaker. For a major part of his life, he worked in the public school system in Canada, where he held positions as a teacher, principal, deputy superintendent in British Columbia, and also served as a regional superintendent of schools in the Yukon Territory. Ron's passion for truth and his desire to help others is its abundantly evident in his writings. Uh, his search for health solutions has convinced him that the human body is a miraculous self-healer if it is given the support it requires to build and maintain health. I'm definitely a huge believer in that as well. And Ron currently lives in British Columbia, Canada. Ron, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure, Wendy. Nice to talk to you. Well, why don't you tell us your personal story? Uh, what's your background and what brought you to be a natural health writer? Well, you've explained a little of my natural, my, my background in my, in my working life, but uh, more specific to health. Uh, I suffered from poor health all my life. I had eczema as a baby. My body was covered with it. And uh, every spring for about three, four months, I had terrible eczema problems. Then in my teens, allergies developed to various things, pollens, dust, uh, animals. And then in my 20s, asthma started to come on. And in my 30s and 40s, uh, I had chronic indigestion and bowel problems. And probably the worst thing was lung infections. Uh, They were quite regular, and I had to use a lot of antibiotics to overcome them. And so... In my 50s, I was really grinding down. I was getting tired. Uh, It was so bad, actually, that uh, I was lucky that I had an executive position and I lived close to home because I would duck home during my lunch hour just to have a nap for half an hour so that I could get through the rest of the day. So what occurred to me at that time, 
it was it was fear that motivated me. Motivated me, uh, Wendy. I was scared because I was going downhill. I could feel it and I could see it. And then I got to thinking. You know, I couldn't believe that the human body was made to break down that way. So I realized that the doctor's pharmaceutical drugs were not making me well. I was sort of limping along, but I was definitely deteriorating. And so in fear, in desperation, I started searching for solutions of my own, and I started looking at the natural health field. And just as, you know, providence has it or the way the universe works, things appear. There's a saying that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah. Well, that's, that's happened to me all, all my life. Anyhow, at that time, a friend gave me two taped uh, lectures by Dr. Joel Robbins from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he had the College of Natural Health there. Well, with those two tapes, he uh, explained to me how the body was designed to operate and how it needs to have certain natural substances uh, to replenish itself and that it can't really get well on, on drugs. And so that really opened my eyes. So I really started to research on my own and started to learn more and apply these principles to myself and started to see health returns. And uh, so later on, my friends said, you know, when I talk about this stuff, they'd say, well, this is interesting. We need this. Why don't you write this down? And so that was the start of my writing career into health. Yeah, I know. Once you start reading, you just you can't stop. It's just so interesting. I found that with myself. I just uh, once you start learning about nutrition and writing about it, and whatnot, it just it just snowballs. <laughs> it does. But the interesting part of that is, you know, when you're inexperienced, when you're not versed in this as much as you and I are, for the average person out there, they start reading about this, and it is very confusing. Yes. yes now, is. you can probably see behind me, I have a couple of bookshelves. Those are all full of health books of all kinds that I that I have bought and researched over time. So it's confusing to the public. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could condense all the basics of this into one book that's easy to understand, that people would understand and know what are the wrong things that take their health away? And what are the right things they should be doing? And so that's what I've attempted to do in these books of Conscious Health and Disease-Free Revolution. Yeah, well, why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Give us, some re readers, a little bit details about uh, what they can expect. Sure. Well, the Disease-Free Revolution is the fourth book that I have written, and there have been revisions of the other books leading to this. And in this book, it is about one-third the size of Conscious Health, so it's an easy read. It's very easy to understand, but it's the result of about 20 years of my study and experience with my own body to find out what works and what doesn't work. What are the basics? And so um, uh, I, I wrote this book to give people the power to empower them so that they could take control of their own health. And they don't have to just take other people's word about take this, take that. Because when they hear suggestions from other people or, or doctors they go to, they, they can then say, okay, is this going to get at the cause of my problem? Is this going to help my body get stronger so that it can heal? 
So some people ask me, why did I choose the word revolution in the title? And I, I think that's a good question. So a revolution happens naturally when people realize that a government or a system that they're under is not working in their best interests, uh, but is more interested in controlling them and making money. So that's really why a revolution starts. And I believe that's starting to happen today because people are waking up. They're starting to question, you know, government policies, the increasing disease we have. It's not getting less, it's getting more. The continual wars we have, why do we have them? What's behind that? Is it all terrorism or is there something to do with oil or who knows? And the virus epidemic scares we keep having. My gosh, we had SARS, the bird flu, the swine flu, you know, and now we've got Ebola. Uh, these are, in large part, seem to be uh, created to put fear into the people. And then, okay, now you need vaccinations or whatever. Yeah. So, but along with this comes our, the erosion of the constitutional freedoms we have. And we see this happening in your country. And just with the recent things that happened in Canada, there's legislation in place now to take more of our freedoms uh, away as well. So third, I believe that we seriously need a revolution in the way we think about health and disease because our present system simply isn't working. Yeah. Well, let's explore some of those ideas in your book about conspiracies that are harming our health. Um, can you tell us, uh, you know, how you think these got started? For example, tell us about the change in medical school training, you know, away from natural methods and nutrition to what it is today. I mean, can you explain a little bit about that? Sure, I can, Wendy. Uh, that's It's a very interesting topic because... Uh, this conspiracy really was very well done and pulled off. Uh, and I want to say that these are not just my opinions. So I'm going to be referring to a couple of notes and reading from a couple of reports because uh, the basic um, reasons that these happen uh, were well planned. And so let's get into that. If, if uh, listeners want to do some searching on their own, they can look to a little booklet called Health Through Nutrition by Dr. Joel Robbins, which is a very brief summary of this, but a much more detailed explanation can be found in Edward Griffin's book, uh, World Without Cancer, Cartels, the Escape from Competition. And that really summarized it. So understand this, that in the 1800s to the early 1900s, all the medical schools in the U.S., and they're mostly on the eastern seaboard, taught natural healing principles. But also during the 1800s in Germany, pharmaceutical companies uh, started to develop and produce drugs for medical purposes on a large scale. Then these companies formed a cartel to get together and decided, let's move and establish in the U.S. And so they teamed up with Rockefeller, and as um, Edward Griffin outlines it in his book, other uh, financial giants such as DuPont, Standard Oil, and Ford, I'm not saying this, he said that. Then over time, they put in legislative uh, steps and procedures so that they could take control. The first one of these was put into place, was done in 1906. 
and that was the establishment of the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. And it was formed with the uh, sort of noble objective of testing food and drugs for safety. However, it was given the power to approve drugs as safe as it liked and natural supplements as unsafe if it and as it decided. So then four years later, uh, they formed the Council of Medical Education by the American Medical Association and given the power to accredit medical schools to approve whether they could establish or not. So as soon as this body was established, they called for the discontinuance of all courses teaching natural methods and the institution of courses teaching drug therapy. Mm -hmm. So those schools that didn't comply were forced to close, and that effectively brought an end to the teaching of natural methods to doctors. Now, shortly after this, this was about 1910, Sir William Osler, who was one of the four founding professors at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, said, drug companies are not here to bring us health, but to scam us for vast amounts of money by treating symptoms and not addressing the cause. But, you know, he said it, and uh, it was sort of soon forgotten. Things continued along to about 1972, and then the American Medical Association formed this Professional Standard Review Organization and gave it the rights to enter any medical doctor's office and revoke his or her license if they weren't following the AMA protocol, which of course was drug therapy. And then, later on, the final stroke of genius came when they formed... Uh, when government health insurance was set up. So this could ensure that the general public, not necessarily individuals, but the general public could afford expensive drugs and treatment procedures. So with that in place, they had a pretty firm hand on it. So effectively, Wendy, what happened was that the original natural medical schools were hijacked and forced out of business. And over the last hundred years, with media advertising and government legislation, people have been conditioned, and some would even call it brainwashed, to believe that the medical system has the right answers, it's the only way to go, and that the other uh, approaches are risky and probably not effective. They're, they call them alternative, which is a, is a wise uh, choice on, on the medical part. But it's not true. So effectively what happened is suppression of the natural health. And I have three examples I'd like to uh, tell you about. And these are all from about the 1930s. And they're wonderful health discoveries. There was Dr. Weston Price. And he wrote a book called uh, Nutrition and Physical Ge Degeneration. He traveled the world and studied um, uh, people in various areas of the world on e examining what kind of foods they were eating. To, uh, to see why they were so healthy. But he, he was a dentist as well, and he did extensive study into the effect that root canals have on people. And that's extremely interesting, because when you do a root canal on a tooth, you effectively cut out the nerve and the blood circulation out of that tooth. And it becomes a dead area, 
where um, bacteria can multiply and then leak into the body. Now, <laughs> that's refuted and argued against by the people who don't want that information out. However, that was there in the 1930s. The second one, and this man is one of my heroes, Dr. Francis Pottinger. And he lived in California, and from 1932 to 1942, he carried out experiments on 900 cats because he wanted to find out what's the difference between eating a certain amount of raw food and just eating all cooked food. Well, what he found over four generations of cats, they got so seriously diseased that they couldn't even multiply after four generations, whereas the ones felt, uh, fed their natural diets lived very healthy all along. We could go into much more detail on that, but that's, that's the point of that. And the other one I want to mention is, and this is the whole issue with cancer. In 1931, Dr. Otto Warburg was given the Nobel Prize. He was awarded the Nobel Prize for discovering the cause of cancer, which simply is low cellular oxygen. And he found that when any cell or group of cells get down in their oxygen content, the um, cancer cells form and start to multiply. And that's a very interesting subject, which I talk about in the book. But how many times have your listeners heard this mentioned? Where do you hear the cancer industry talking about we've got to raise oxygen levels in the cells? Because when that happens, cancer dies. Very interesting. So what happened basically with all this um, controversy and media oh, proliferation of, of the medical ideas is that people stopped thinking for themselves and started to look to others. If I'm sick, I've got to go to the doctor and he'll tell me what to do and he'll give me some drugs. So they stopped thinking for themselves and taking responsibility. And because doctors fear the power of their own associations, that they'll get fired, they'll, get, they'll lose their licenses, they continue with what they know. And so it continues. You know, we have more diseases, etc. Yeah, and I think that really um, uh, highlights, what I think a lot of doctors operate in fear. They spend a lot of money and time uh, becoming physicians, and they uh, have so much invested in this. And if they operate outside the AMA guidelines, the AMA protocols, if they have, if you have cholesterol, a high cholesterol over two hundred, now it's whatever at one eighty, uh, you have they have to write a prescription for statins, or they could be uh, they could be sued for malpractice if the person has a heart attack, or they could be they could be uh, lose their license, etc. That's true. You know, and what's sad about all, all this, Wendy, it's not the doctor's faults. Yeah, it's not. They, it's how they've been educated and conditioned. Because in, in their entire training, they're only given a very few hours on nutrition. They're never taught about how, how that strengthens the body or a lack of nutrition will weaken the body. And so doctors are trained to look for disease and then to write prescriptions to make those uh, symptoms go away. They do not understand, by and large, what causes diseases. In fact, the physician's desk reference that they all have in their library when they look up a disease 
For the vast majority of diseases, these say cause unknown. I, I'm doing that. I'm, reading, I'm taking a biology and anatomy class and all these diseases. Uh, we don't really know the etiology of this, of leukemia and whatnot. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Um, this, this, <laughs> well, of course they're kidding you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, because obviously we do know. We do know that most diseases, uh, you know, this you and I do, that nutri- nutrient deficiencies and heavy metal and chemical toxicities and stress all the, on the body collude yeah. to cause disease, whatever yeah. the disease label. Um, and I, I think this also very much explains, uh, you know, why medical doctors, I think they're very altruistic. I think they go into medicine wanting to help people, but they aren't given the tools, the real tools to do that. And right. I think it's also why that drugs are the only approved treatments for diseases. Um, and that's why they're the only treatments paid for by insurance. I mean, they're just kind of in, a, in between a, a rock and a hard place. They are. Follow the money. It's all about the industries and it's all about making money. Yeah. Getting you healthier is is a is a secondary consideration. Yeah, and so you know, let me put the devil's devil's advocate for a moment, and uh, you know, ask you why you think pharmaceutical drugs are are so bad as a medical treatment modality. Okay, Wendy, all pharmaceutical drugs are not bad, and I'm not against all doctors because, as I've just mentioned before, there are many well-meaning doctors, they, their hands are sort of tied as to what they can delve into and what they can talk to their patients about. But we are fortunate to have the medical knowledge uh, and skills today in the area of for, for treating physical traumas. We get banged up in car accidents or we fall and break something. You know, we have the finest medical knowledge available today. And some drugs save lives from severe infections. But we need to know the difference. And uh, any drug, whatever it is, in my opinion, should be a temporary uh, measure to overcome a crisis and then get back to helping the body strengthen itself. Exactly, exactly. Because I like to have my clients stay on their medications because natural treatments take a long time. Natural approaches can take years, you know, one, two, three years. So... Well, they, they can, and that's a relatively short time because you think by the time you're in your 40s or 50s, how many years have you been doing the wrong things? And it's going to take time to reverse those. You're absolutely right, Wendy. And uh, so can you tell us about some other conspiracy theories that are harming our health? Sure, I can. Um, these, in, the ones I'm going to talk about are no longer theories. And that's, a, that's a, an interesting word in itself, because the proponents or the originators of conspiracies, when they're criticized, say, oh, well, that's just a theory that you're putting up. And that's a word they purposely use to marginalize and discredit the person who is trying to bring forth information to educate the public. So these ones I'm going to talk about here are no longer theories. And this are, these are from reports. Here's from a report by Michael Snyder that was dated uh, March 24th, uh, 2014. And the first one is, this is really controversial. Unvaccinated children are far healthier than vaccinated children. And his report says this is true. And you know that children are given between 40 and 80 vaccines between birth and six years old. 
this is a, a, an immature developing immune system and it has to cope with these things. Now, the theory of the vaccination sounds good. Here, I'm using that word too, because it is just a theory. They have many ingredients in them, such as antibiotics, egg protein, formaldehyde, monosodium glutamate, that's MSG, aluminum, mercury, and, and other uh, additives. These chemicals are extremely hard on the developing immune system. Now, going further on, on the issue of vaccinations, I came upon a very interesting article and report last year, and it was titled, The Vaccine Hoax is Over. And it was on, on the website endalldisease.com. So a doctor in the United Kingdom did a Freedom of Information Act filing, and he found that he revealed 30 years of secret official documents showing that government experts have known that the vaccines don't work, known that they cause the diseases that they're supposed to prevent, known that they're a hazard to children, and they have colluded to lie to the public and work to prevent safety studies from being done. Now, these vaccines in, in the UK are the exact same vaccines that are administered in the US. So my advice to anyone wondering about this is don't take my word for it or these other people's word for it. Start to do your own research. And the bottom line, where I drew for myself, was do I want those additives in my body? Are those going to help my immune system get stronger or weaker? So I leave that as a question. A second one, and this applies to almost everyone, the fluoride in our water is really bad for us. That's very true. Uh, why do you think the FDA requires a poison warning on every tube of fluoride toothpaste? But to not prolong this, my biggest concern about fluoride or fluorine is, and let's look at the chemical periodic table. They're all arranged in columns and there's one column called the halogens, and this has fluorine, chlorine, bromine, and iodine in that order, going downwards. Now, the way the periodic table of elements works, it anything higher than the one lower displaces it. Now, iodine is so important. We need it for our thyroid. We need it for our skin. It fights infections in our body. Most people in North America are deficient in iodine. And fluorine and chlorine are in our, most of our drinking waters. So automatically, it's displacing the iodine in our body. To me, that's a very bad one. It's one of the main reasons why people are obese. Two-thirds of people are obese. Oh, absolutely. That and MSG. Yeah. When, sci when scientists want to fatten rats or mice, they feed them MSG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so another one is the overuse of antibiotics is, calling, is causing a rise in antibiotic-resistant superbugs. Well, we know that's happening. You know, the standard antibiotics are no longer working for a lot of infections. Another one in his report said that hospitals are massively overcharging their patients. True. There was another report on March 4th of 2013 uh, called Legalized Drug Dealers, in which they expose how hospitals in the U.S. charge exorbitantly high prices for pharmaceutical drugs prescribed to patients. And of course, pharmaceutical drugs are a large component 
of what they call healthcare costs. And finally, in his report, was thanks to Big Pharma, uh, the, the Americans are the most drugged up people on the face of the earth. In fact, 31% of Americans are taking three or more pharmaceutical drugs every day. You know, that's pretty alarming. Yeah. Yeah, well, why don't you talk a little bit more about Big Pharma and, you know, how they are uh, pretty much conspiring and colluding to destroy our health. Okay. You want to know the answers to any of these things? Again, follow the money. The main objective of Big Pharma is to get customers and sell drugs, not to cure disease. That's the bottom line. You know, natural food supplements have proven to be very safe, and yet they try to say that they're risky. But <laughs> they're, they're not. They're not risky. They are proven to be very safe, whereas, whereas pharmaceutical drugs have proven to be risky, and there's thousands of deaths every year from them. A couple of examples that I came upon. In 2008, there were 14,800 prescription painkiller deaths, and that still goes on today. Vioxx, which was pulled off the market last September, uh, is, is supposed to have killed over 40,000 people. And that was according to an FDA scientist who said that his employer silenced his warnings about the drug safety. Yet, drug companies continue to be protected by government agencies. And in many cases, uh, the studies that are done for safety are done by the drug companies themselves and only reviewed by the government agencies. You know, but the most damning testimony I found about pharmaceuticals was just uh, published this year by a Dr. John Verapen, who came out on forbid, ForbiddenKnowledgeTV.com. He was a former Eli Lilly pharmaceutical company executive for 35 years, and he finally quit and spoke out against the drugs. And he said many things, and I'll only hit two or three of them here. Bottom line, he said, pharmaceutical companies do nothing but annihilate the population in this world. Really strong stuff. Wow. For money, money, money. Uh, and he said, we need some pharmaceutical drugs because some drugs are good. And I talked about that earlier. But most of them are rubbish, he says. The companies are not interested in curing a disease you may have. They're more interested in making you get or continue a disease you do have. So they're interested in treating symptoms, not causes. They like to have, say, diabetics and cardiology patients, uh, Parkinson's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, all these kind, because the people live a long time and they have to continue taking the drugs. He says that they use the media to help them do their work, to get the, the, the information out there, to try, help to... Uh, influence people. And then he finally says, don't take for granted what your doctor says these days, because they don't know much about medicine. That's really strong. And they don't care much about their patients either, he says, because they're thinking about how much money they can get paid. And this is how big pharma stays in power, because doctors only get their information, their ongoing education from pharmaceutical industry salespeople, the reps. Yeah. 
And he says that, that the salespeople are told never to talk about side effects, only talk about FAB, features, advantages, and benefits. They hide the dangerous side effects, he says. Now, to back up Dr. Virapin's story, just one month ago, an article appeared in the Wall Street Journal written by Peter Loftus, and it was titled this, Doctors Net Billions from Drug Firms. Drug and medical device companies paid at least $3.5 billion to the U.S. to U.S. physicians and teaching hospitals during the final five months of last year. Well, that extrapolates into about $8 billion a year. According to most comprehensive accounting so far, are the financial ties that some critics say have compromised medical care. Now, is this a conflict of interest or what? Yeah. Doctors or medical schools getting paid by the pharmaceutical companies for selling their products. Yeah. 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 And I, I've heard that doctors are rewarded with vacations. Uh, the more prescriptions they write, they get vacation. They get all kinds of backdoor payments yeah. and they get yeah. vacations for training where they, they have to take a certain amount of credits per year to keep up their license uh, yeah. every few years. And they get that those are paid for vacations and trainings are paid for by the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, they are. Uh, and the other side of effect, I, I don't know how it is with all your, your doctor's visits in the States, but I know how it's gotten in Canada. 20 years ago, you could go and talk to them. Now, you get between five and seven minutes with them. Yeah. You can ask one question. If you get into other questions, they get very irritable. And they really, they have their pad right handy and their pen, and they're ready to write a prescription and get you out of the door because... The, the pressure for, for seeing all their patients is pretty high right now. Yeah. So you don't get long with them. Yeah, and that's not their fault. Uh, that's, no, it's that's, not. They're, they're under a lot of pressure. The pharmaceutical, um, not, not pharmaceutical, the insurance companies, and, or in Canada, you've got the, uh, the, the, the social medicine. Um, it's, uh, they're under a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And here again, this social medicine only pays for the orthodox uh, treatment, which is drug therapy. Yeah. You want to go to a naturopath or, or get natural supplements, which I do, uh, you pay for those all yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why people call people like me, health coaches uh, and other healthcare practitioners, that me, I take the time with my clients. I sit down with them for an hour and yeah. answer all their questions available by email. Like people need support with their health and they, they can't get it. It's not a, a reality today with most physicians. No, and, and when you point out how their body is supposed to operate and why it's under pressure, why it's breaking down, then you're educating them and enabling them to take more responsibility for themselves and make wise decisions. Yeah, exactly. And the, the people, they do have to take responsibility. You cannot, no one is invested as you are in your health. No one nope. gives a crap, <laughs> except maybe exactly. your mom, except your mom or your significant other. Yeah. No one cares. The doctor, they don't have the time to look over your case and spend the time it really takes to uh, get you healthy. Only you're going to do that. Only you're going to spend that time to do that. So. Absolutely. As I say in my book, who cares most about your health? Yeah. It's you. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about big agra. Um, how do big agra and agriculture and the food industries tie, uh, tie into the conspiracies to undermine our health? 
Well, they're all part and parcel of, of the same thing. <clears throat> when you understand natural health principles, that's fairly easy to answer. And you talked about it earlier. <clears throat> and that's all the unnatural chemicals that are added to our food products and in our environment. You know, let's, let's start with how food is grown and the conventional mass-produced farming methods. We, the, the land is fertilized with chemical fertilizers, which have basically only three or four elements in there to return to the soil. And those are often synthetic. And we put pesticides and insecticides on our products and our growing land. So these are toxic, and over time, when we keep farming lands the same way, it leaches the trace minerals out of the soil. And so the, the conventional food that you buy at supermarkets has less and less minerals in it that the body needs. So processed foods have all thousands of additives. In fact, you know, over the last... 50, 60, 70 years, basically since the Second World War, there have been over 84,000 chemicals introduced into our uh, food and environment and water systems. Some, some of them like fluoride, MSG, and artificial sweeteners like aspartame, they cause disease conditions in the body. They don't help it in any way, shape, or form. Now we've got GMO foods, which is really controversial, and we've got uh, companies like Monsanto, which are really arguing hard against, oh, no, these are safe. It's perfectly safe. We need it to feed the people. If you dig into this, there's all kind of evidence proving the opposite. And why do they fight so hard in the U.S. and Canada to stop us from having labeling of uh, foods that you can buy at the store, whether they've got GMO foods in them or not? Yeah. You know, um, so... Other nations in Europe and the rest of the parts of the world, they have banned GMO foods or they have forced labeling of the foods. Now, what do they know that we don't? Or do their governments care more about the health of their people than ours do? Again, it comes back to taking responsibility for yourself. So as I say, if in doubt, don't, you know, because it's your health that's in stake. How natural is it, I ask, to have... Uh, Foods or, or crops sprayed so much to kill weeds and insects that these weeds and insects themselves are adapting because they multiply every year or more often, and they're becoming immune to these chemicals. But we aren't. We take a long time. Is it natural to have animal or fish genes inserted into a tomato or other vegetables? I think not. You know... And if you dig into this, the, the basic problem is that it apparently produces proteins, uh, amino acids that the uh, our human bodies have never encountered before in nature. And so this is causing real havoc. So why do we take chances with our health with these things when other nations don't? Yeah. Yeah, and that's why the rise of allergies have increased so much since the 90s, since GMOs have been introduced. Food sensitivities are skyrocketing because our bodies are attacking these proteins. It doesn't recognize them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And further than that, they're causing injury to the inside of the system. And one of my favorite topics, too, is the gut, the small intestine. These all cause miniature holes in them so that 
bacteria and food particles, small proteins, can escape right through the gut into the bloodstream. They cause inflammation. They cause allergies throughout the body. And it's it's a heavy load. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about big agar and the processed food industry, another mega billion dollar industry. What do you think um, or, or why do you think that it has become legal to add ingredients to foods that are not organic when you have an organic product and a consumer thinks they're purchasing something that's pure and natural, but there are ingredients in there that are not organic. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, sure. It's back to the, the same old uh violin tune, it's mostly about money. It's simply because government agencies allow it. If these things they put into or on the food make the products last longer or taste better are, or uh, are a bit addictive, such as sugar, which is, is a big one, then that's good for business. People will consume more. So it increases profits and sales. It's the bottom line again. So long-term health considerations don't seem to be uh, a real concern. So the only true, protect, true protection, Wendy, is what you and I are saying, is to take responsibility and learn about healthy lifestyle practices. What are the foods that are good for you and what are the ones you should avoid? And that was the purpose of the Disease-Free Revolution book that I wrote because I highlight all these right in there. Yeah. Well, can you explain some uh, specific examples of food or medical treatment exa- uh, that uh, medical treatments that you may uh, you know that you think are harming our health? Certainly, let's talk about a few common ones because I talk about these in my book. The one that's probably most pervasive in all our foods, uh, all the processed foods, and we people we use it in beverage, etc., is sugar. There is no nutrition in sugar, in white sugar. And a matter of fact, it becomes toxic in the body. And it's in most of our processed food and beverages. And the why it's so bad is that one teaspoon of sugar will depress or weaken the immune system for three and a half hours. Now, the average American consumes 22 teaspoons of added sugar every day. What is that doing to your immune system? Uh, sugar also causes inflammation in the body, always. And inflammation is at the base of almost every disease condition we have. So that's a bad one. Second one is soy, soy products. The only healthy ones are the fermented ones, like miso, tempeh, tempeh, tempeh and soy sauce. So the, the fermented ones are okay, but soy is very hard to break down to make it edible. But the whole soy industry has really convinced the, the vegetarian industry people that, oh, here's, here's a safe protein for you. you don't have to eat meats. Use tofu. But actually, tofu and soy milk actually contribute to health problems. Yeah, And that's because they have to be processed at such high heat and combined with chemicals and other additives to, to improve their taste. But soy products depress the immune, uh, the thyroid function. They contain enzyme inhibitors. They also contain aluminum. My big pet peeve with soy products, uh, tofu and soy milk, is they're full of estrogens. Yeah. 
It causes estrogen overload, estrogen dominance, and it upsets our natural hormonal balance. And I came upon one report that said that soy milk fed to babies contained the equivalent of five birth control pills every day. Now, I know this is true because a girl in my family, as a baby, was fed soy milk. And she started puberty, got her period when she was barely 10 years old. It just accelerates things in the body. So if people wonder about this, say, oh, that can't be. And do your own research. Go to your computer, type in soy and Price Pottinger Foundation as two sources and see what you find. You're going to find lots of information. Now, in my book, I have a chapter called Deceptions and Lies. Now, these are lies or they're half lies. First one is salt is bad for you. Yeah. We absolutely need salt for the electrolytes to run in our body. The problem is it's the wrong kind of salt, which is table salt, just sodium chloride. That is toxic. The body can't use it for health, whereas unprocessed sea salt has up to 84 minerals and trace minerals in it. Our body really needs it. It was uh, deemed as an absolute requirement for health in the early years. The Latin word for salt is sal, and it was said that Roman soldiers were paid a salary of salt. Yeah. That's where our word salary got its uh, its origin. Second one is that fat makes you fat, and the proliferation of low-fat foods, really bad for the health. Again, it's the wrong kind of fat. It's the trans fats. It's the fats that have been overheated. Most of those that are on the middle shelves in supermarkets the cheap ones, Uh, but good fat is needed for energy to make cell membranes and many other functions in the body. Uh, The good fats are organic butter, uh, organic cream. Now, I'm not talking about milk, butter, cream, um, coconut oil, olive oil. That is the virgin ones. Those are absolutely necessary. You talk about bad fat, I'll mention one, margarine. That's synthetic. It's so bad that flies and insects won't land on it. They won't eat it. Now, what kind of cell membranes do you think those kind of fats will make in your body? So again, think for yourself and take your own responsibility. The third one, you've already mentioned it, Wendy, and that's cholesterol. It's bad and it has to be treated with drugs. If you do an internet search on cholesterol and you add the words myth, lie, hoax, scam, con, you are going to find millions. I found when I did a quick search something like 12 million entries outlining and educating you on what a scam this is. As a matter of fact, uh, Sheldon Zerden, who wrote the book The Cholesterol Hoax, said, it's the greatest swindle in the history of nutrition. Uh, Udo Erasmus, who is one of the world's uh, foremost authorities on fats and oils, he wrote the book Fats That Heal and Fats That Kill. He calls this the cholesterol scare. The facts are that cholesterol is manufactured in the liver and the skin regardless of what foods you eat. Because the body needs cholesterol for certain functions. It's needed in all the cells, the nerves, the brain, many other functions. 
But the interesting part, and this is where the confusion comes in, is it's part of the body's repair kit. So when they did uh, autopsies on patients who had died from heart disease and looked into the arteries, they found, oh, there's some cholesterol in here. So cholesterol must be the problem. But what we need to understand is why was that cholesterol in there? Because it's not in the arteries of healthy people, people with healthy arteries. Now, arteries can become weakened from infections, smoking, elevated insulin levels, uh, lots of other things. And when those become weakened, the body in its wisdom says we've got to strengthen those arteries. And so they'll lay down a little layer of cholesterol trying to strengthen it. Now, if you continue living the way you are, sooner or later that's going to plug up and you are going to die from that. But what this is, is a symptom. The body is telling you, I'm suffering. Please reverse what you're doing so that I don't have to use this. The problem is not cholesterol, but the lifestyle choices, choices that are made that weaken the tissues in the first place. Because the human body does everything for a reason. And when we put drugs in our body to control something or force it to do something, we interfere with its natural process of trying to reach a balance. So, uh, yeah, I, so, I, I feel I feel the same way that uh, that you know I can't help but feel that it's almost a, a government conspiracy, you know, the AMA conspiracy to tell cardiac patients and people with high cholesterol not to eat high cholesterol foods like red meat and eggs and salt. that are the very foods they need to be healthy. Eggs. Organic eggs, free-run eggs, are a complete food in itself. They have everything in it. It's so wonderful. And that's awful to deprive our body of these things. Yeah. You know, the fact is that more people, and you do research on this, more people die from low cholesterol than they do from high cholesterol. Yes. So, go figure. Yeah. <laughs> and so, in your book, uh, you talk about uh, the sickness and disease management industry. Um, what exactly do you mean that? Do you mean by that? Is it healthcare or is it just sick care? Well, the one we're familiar with that we go to doctors to find out about, that's sick care. And we've already talked about that because sick people continue to need to have doctor's visits. They continue to need to take their drugs and maybe even get more drugs. You know, medical doctors have been trained to look for disease and then use um, drugs as their treatment of choice. So um, drugs treat symptoms. They don't treat causes. So here, here again, big pharma is really in control. Uh, an interesting um, comment by Dr. Bruce Lipton, who wrote the book Biology of Belief. He's a very gifted cell biologist. He calls them pharmaceutical patsies because they're there to write prescriptions. They're there to do the bidding of the pharmaceutical companies. They don't like to hear you and I talk and say these things. But if they are not trying to... Uh, heal the causes of their patients' diseases, then they need to take this seriously and think about it themselves. You know, when was the last time a medical doctor spent time talking to you about how to be healthy, eat the wrong, right foods, you know, avoid the wrong ones? So healthcare, as they brilliantly called it, is a deception. It's not healthcare, it's sick care. Yeah, yeah. 
And so where does detox come into your beliefs about health? I and mean, what are the body's priorities, so to speak? And you know, how does this factor into the body's ability to detox and to heal? Okay. Um, if we get into true healthcare, that's helping the body to heal itself, giving it what it needs to, uh, to strengthen itself. And so I would say this on the matter of detox. If we are always eating a diet that is natural, it is organic, that is, it doesn't have um, pesticides and obnoxious chemicals in it, and it has all the minerals that the body needs to replenish itself, the fats, oils, vitamins, uh, minerals, it will naturally detoxify as a matter of course. But when we eat foods that our body can't completely digest, and they they putrefy and stay in the colon too long, we start to develop bowel problems. It starts to back up in our colon. All of a sudden, we can't go to the bathroom uh, once or twice or three times a day. We're into once every two or three days, or maybe once every four, five, six days, or seven even. One lady who contacted me recently, she was barely able to go once a week. So what happens when the colon backs up with all this um, putrefied matter that's in there? You know that it's not good stuff because the smell of it when it comes out. This begins to back up in the body and means that the liver is unable to detoxify completely and it becomes congested. So it offloads and it says, okay, let's get the lungs to help me get this out. Sometimes you'll come upon people with really terrible breath. And it's not necessarily they've just been eating garlic or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a backup of toxins in their body because the body is trying to get rid of them. Yeah. And also people with chronic skin problems is a classic sign of, uh, of an overly toxic body. So detox really comes in large. And the first place we need to start is getting the colon cleared and moving regularly. So we work on that, and I talk about that in the book. So the liver can start to detox and start to throw these off. So the body becomes more efficient. The body will use a cold and flu as, as when you're doing things properly to try to get rid of toxins in the body. When you have a cold, why do you think there's so much mucus goes out and that it's colored from infection? That's because in its wisdom, it's trying to get rid of this stuff to help you live longer. And so I have a question that I like to ask all of my guests. Uh, what do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? Okay, I'm not going to pick any particular culprit. If the culprit is us. Mm. It's people not thinking for themselves and taking personal responsibility. Because if you learn information such as you're teaching, Wendy, and that is in my book, The Disease-Free Revolution, you're going to become informed and know how to make the right decisions. You're going to understand what causes disease and how to be healthy. So when you start taking responsibility, then you're going to overcome these problems. So I think that's the number one problem. In my opinion, this information is so important that, you know, this little book here that I have written, uh, yeah, hold it, it up, hold it up, so people can see it, it. It has, can you see that? Yeah, higher, higher. Yeah, great. Yeah. 
I like. I really like that cover. It has basic, easy to understand information that is so important it should be taught in our schools. But it's not, you know. We're taught to memorize facts, not to think critically in our schools. And I think it really, we really have to start there in our education system and make critical thinkers. That is, people say, ah, is that true or not? Does that make sense? I'm going to do some research on that because I want to stay healthy. I don't want to get taken uh, in, in the financial field. Are those things true or false? Is the market being manipulated or not? So we need to, to have, we've got a lot of smart people in, their company, in our countries, but they've been taught, they've been dumbed down not to question things. Okay, you're sick, go to the doctor, you know. Anyhow, reasons why we get sick, the, the first reason is lack of knowledge. We don't understand what makes us sick and how we can be health, healthy. And the second reason is lack of effort. We really don't care enough. Yeah. We won't put in the effort to find out and then apply it to our own lives. So this I know is that, that's a problem. People are programmed to think, I take a pill, I get better. I want instant relief. And that's why people don't want to do a program like mine. It's called Neural Power. It takes, you know, two to three years for people to really achieve optimal health. And they don't want to do it. <laughs> All you have to do is think and I'm talking to your listeners now. Five years from now, do you want to be worse or do you want to be better? If I didn't take the steps I did 20 years ago, I'm 76 right now. And in my mid-50s, I was really going downhill. I am positive I would not be here today if I did not take the steps I took. I'm still working at it, but I am healthier now than I was 10 years ago. And that's the way you need to look at it. Ten years from now, where will I be? Sicker or healthier? Comes down to what do you want for yourself? And are you willing to work for it? Yeah, and it does take work. And to make those those little choices every day, what you're going to eat, are you going to exercise, are you going to take your supplements? There's lots of little choices that add up to big changes over time. They, Yeah, they do. You know, and it's a little rough when you're transitioning and you're going through these healing crises, which I explain in the book, what you have to go to go through when your body throws out and starts to correcting disease conditions, it has to detoxify itself and rebuild. But it's so exciting when you see that all of a sudden, instead of going in a downward uh, spiral, you're starting to go on steps upward, yeah. the energy is returning, you're feeling better, your skin looks better. You know, that's, that's really quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, Ron, thank you so much for being on the show. That was so good. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your vast knowledge of health with the listeners and your, your thoughts and ideas. Um, do you have any other uh, thoughts that you want to I, share with I the have, listeners? Yes, I do, Wendy. Yeah. I have one final thought. No matter, For all your listeners, no matter what condition you may be in while you're listening to this or reading a transcript of it, there is always hope for health because your body has only two priorities. The first one is always survival. It will always work to keep you alive so that you can see another day. Its second priority is to get healthier, to make you better. 
But it can only do that if it has energy and nutrition left over at the end of the day. So realize this, that your body is the best doctor in the world. It knows what to do and it doesn't make mistakes. We do. But it needs you as its assistant to provide the, the nutrition that it needs so that it can strengthen its immune system and build a healthy body for you again. So uh, if you want more information about me, you can go to my website, which is ConsciousHealth.ca, where I have lots of information on there. There's other radio interviews. Uh, there's a free download. And um, there's always hope for health. Yeah. You just have to want it and know how to get it. Yeah, absolutely. Hallelujah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Thank you, Wendy. Yes. Yeah. Great topics you've discussed. Yeah, well, thank you so much again for coming on the show. And uh, hold tight. Uh, listeners, if you want to learn all about my program, Mineral Power, all about the modern paleo diet, my version of paleo, you know, learning to suss out your food sensitivities, and you want to learn about how to heal your health conditions naturally, lots of information on many, many different health conditions and how you can approach them naturally, uh, just go to my website, livetoone110.com. Join me on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, I will live to 110. And thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.